0: To make it in cannabis, first you must dare to. Twelve years ago, M.J. MJBizCon dared to unite the global cannabis community, igniting a movement that continues to thrive. The wait is over. Let's grow together this November 28th through December 1st in Vegas. You'll hear incredible stories, see groundbreaking innovations, and forge connections you need to thrive in 2024. But wait, the clock is ticking. Get your tickets by September 28th and save up to $200. And here's the secret. Podcast listeners get 10% off with promo code 23POD10. Don't miss out. Get your tickets at mjbizcon.com. That's mjbizcon.com. It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we've got Dave Seymour. He's the host on Flipping Boston and now founder and CEO of Freedom Venture Investments. Dave, thanks for being on The Talking Hedge.
1: Hey Josh, nice man. I love. I even love the name of the podcast, Talking Hedge. Hedge
0: We're going to talk some some hedge today on uh, commercial real estate. I think you're pro. I'm a little bit uh, scared of what's happening. All time highs. Before we get into the nitty gritties, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? how you got on TV, um, maybe even going back further than that. Tell us a little bit about Sure, yourself.
1: yeah. Look, man, I'll keep it brief. That question always starts a good podcast, doesn't it? Who are you? Where the hell did you come from? And it. what do you know? Or why should, why should I even listen to you? <laughs> That's it, right?
0: exactly. Right?
1: Um, look, I might be uh, slightly different, I would assume, to some of your guests. I'm not coming from uh, a high academic or collegiate background. Didn't study finance. Didn't study Wall Street. Didn't study any of those things. Um, I'm a blue-collar guy uh, emigrant to the country from England, emigrated back in 86. I was London born, London bred, as we used to say back then, came here. It's uh, not not a Boston accent. Well, there's a little bit of Boston attached to it. After, (laughs) after 30 years of hanging out with Mackie Mack, uh, you can't, you can't, you can't help but pick it up a little bit of the twang, but, um, well, I landed a good blue collar job. Uh, My my father worked with his back and his hands. Um, I was, I was taught to trade time for money, um, that's, that's kind of just the world I grew up in. No right or wrong, just is. Um, and um, I, I landed uh, probably one of the better blue-collar jobs that there is. I, I became a firefighter and a paramedic. I did 16 years um, in a city called Lynn, Massachusetts, just north of Boston. But for me, the challenge was this. was, you know, if all I'm ever tra- uh, taught to do is trade time for money, uh, that, uh, that has a ceiling on it, right? There's, a, there's, a, there's an eventual cap to that market growth. Um, and, um, I had the challenge of, um, not having a great deal of financial literacy. In other words, I lived the American dream of spending more than I earned, which was uh, an absolutely bizarre concept to my father back in England. He thought you, you just went to jail for that. I said, no, Dad. it's America. They all do it over here. It's great. But, uh, but, uh, it got me into a situation where I, I was up to many hours, about 120 a week. I was working between a couple of jobs. You know, I, I was never frightened of hard work, but anyway, look, I, um, during my construction years, on my days off from the fire department, you know, I, I was exposed to real estate, sticks and bricks, ground up. Um, like I said, I'm not from, from an academic background, so I understand the fundamentals of real estate supply and demand in both the single family marketplace and as my career grew into the, into the multifamily and commercial arenas. But what I did see was this, is that the people who were investing were a lot happier than the people who were digging the ditches. Uh, they, they drove nicer cars. They had a bigger smile on their face, right? And um, they seemed to be in a, in a happier place. And I thought to myself, I need to know what they know. Ask them a few questions and very quickly realized they ain't that smart, as we say here in Boston, right? Um, they weren't exceptionally talented in personality or knowledge. Um, they weren't phenomenally communicative. They, just, they were just ordinary people. And I thought to myself, I, I could do that. And I did. I I learned it. I I engrossed myself in it. Um, I made a commitment to myself that uh, I was no longer going to make somebody else wealthy. I was going to do it for myself. And uh, so the journey began. It started very simply single family houses, buy, fix, and flip, wholesaling contracts. Um, I learned in 2008 that when everybody else was running out, I went running in. It was the firefighter mentality, if you will. That's when I started my career heavily, was when the market tanked. And, uh, you know, in, in every, and you see this everywhere and every, every opportunity or massive opportunity has been created um, during chaos, during a great shift, right? Uh, we saw in 2008, uh, you know, we know what the markets did then. We know that uh, it was an incredibly challenging time for our country, but out of that time was created massive, massive opportunities. And um, while I was, I was doing the work, if you will, buying, fixing, flipping, flipping, Um, I was also invited into the education space, and they said, "You know, Dave, you've got a very relatable story. Hardworking guy, fell on hard times, and tried to do something different, and it was successful for you. Would you teach that to other people?" And it was in that arena that I then um, was exposed to the TV world. And I'll make I'll make it a short story, but (laughs) it was interesting. Guy says to me, he says, "Dave." There's a company in New York, there's an online application uh, for a house flipping show. This was maybe 2000 and late nine, 10. Mm -hmm. Nobody had any interest in the house flipping shows in 9, 10, right? It was cancer. Why on earth would you wanna watch that on TV? Mm -hmm. But um, I'd known enough to be in a space and surrounded by different people at that time in my life. Entrepreneurs, I mean, these were the online marketing guys. Uh, these were the guys and girls who were creating online funnel systems to sell goods and services. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell these guys are talking about, but they're doing something. And uh, I knew that uh, if I wanted to be recognized, I had to separate myself from the pack. I'm only going to tell it like it is the way I did. That was, was I loaded the application, the online application with profanity. The, wor- <laughs> the worst, the worst words my grandmother said I should never use. And uh, it got me recognized. And, um, they came out, they did a little uh, little like sizzle reel, they call it. And they said, that big English guy looks like he could get pretty angry. We'd like to see more of that. And so was born the big English contractor guy on flipping Boston. And the rest is history. No Emmys, no Oscars, uh, nothing like that. Just, uh, Just a good solid run with the TV world. So there you go. I did that in like six and a half minutes. That's pretty good for me, Josh. That's not bad.
0: So, not so bad. would you say that that was a role you were playing to kind of fit fit
1: a role? Or I beg your pardon. <laughs> when you asking me a question like that, you're insinuating, <laughs> sir, that reality TV is not real. I take offense to that. I'm gonna to have to bring in legal counsel if you keep on going with that line of questioning. I'm gonna to have to plead the fifth.
0: <laughs> Look, what-
1: well, I, was, I was curious because if
0: if someone was uh, you know if you put in all those ex, uh, you know f bombs and whatnot, I would think that a a, a major producer like A and E would be afraid that that might slip. But of course, they could just play, edit that out. But it makes for some yeah. good TV. Sure. Um, deals also make for good TV. Right now, there's some, there's a lot of shows on there. One of them is based out of like um, Indiana. I think okay. it's called Good Bones, if I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, the girls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They used
1: to be uh, Hammer, like Hammer Girls or Hammer Chicks or something. Yeah, yeah. So they're
0: finding fifty, sixty thousand dollar houses, sometimes twenty thousand dollar houses. That's pretty insane. So a lot of uh, people that watch this podcast, you know, whether it's uh, international or domestic, they're looking for deals, looking for value. Sure. So you went from being a firefighter, you know, knocking down doors and putting out fires to working in an industry that's on fire, quite speculative. Um, Where are the deals? Is it foreclosures? Is it REOs? Uh, That's real estate investment by the banks. Is it short sales? Uh, Or is it even before that, when you get, you know, some kind of deed negotiation, where are you looking at? Where can people find deals?
1: Yeah, great question. It depends. It depends what your uh, what your appetite is. So if, uh, if you're in the single family buy, fix and flip business right now, if you asked me, would I do a deal in, in single family residential, I'd say run for the hills. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not looking for deals. If you're buying your deals out of the multiple listing service, beware. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have a really good uh, marketing campaign, uh, a, a phenomenal network for lead generation, Um, then you're going to find some challenges in that single family market. I beg every single one of the people who listen to your podcast, do not get fooled by the bullshit of reality TV. All right. Uh, The numbers um, on most of those shows are, are inaccurate. Uh, Mm -hmm. They don't, uh, they don't really portray the time, nor the cost of capital, nor the cost of of manpower. They don't figure in insurance. They don't figure in taxes, you know, I bought it for 50, I put in 50, I sold it for 200, I made $100,000, look at me, I'm all that in a bag of chips. It doesn't work that way. So good deals come through phenomenal networking and marketing skills, and really geographically knowing your marketplace. Everything in real estate works from back to front. What can I sell it for? Minus the acquisition, minus the carrying costs, minus the repairs, minus my profits. That's what I can offer on a piece of real estate. So if that first number, the after repair value is inaccurate, it's not correct, um, which is, it's a very fluid number, right? Because of um, uh, zip codes, wrong side of the tracks, whatever terminology you want to use. So being in- incredibly uh, proficient in your own market is, is a critical piece to being, to being exceptional. What I will say is this, is the very best deals come word of mouth. They're what we call pocket listings, pocket listing is an off-market deal that the rest of the world hasn't had an opportunity to see and overbid. Well, how do you get a pocket listing? Unfortunately, pocket listings come to people who execute, people who know how to do the business, right? It's chicken and egg. I want a pocket listing and I've never done a deal before. Well, guess what? You're not going to get a pocket listing. Pocket listings go to closers, people who have the capital to move fast, solve a problem. So, you know, where are the deals? The deals are created through through uh, distress, through motivation, inherited properties are, are a really good uh, lead source, um, both in commercial as well as residential. Um, we're taking down an eight contract acquisition in uh, Florida in a couple of weeks, and it was an inherited property. It was a family that in, inherited these, these, these units, and you know there's just too much infighting, and it's like everybody just throws their hands up and says, okay, let it go. You know, just get us somebody who's gonna close and close fast and give us a decent price. So um, that's a really good uh, generation, um, uh, lead generation. Foreclosures will tick up. I don't care what the, uh, what the, the talking heads or the pundits have to say about it. Uh, common sense will come to fruition at some point or another. There's this, this, this chaos, <laughs> just straight up stupidity that's out there right now. I just sit back and smile. So foreclosures will definitely be a, um, an uptick opportunity. Um, and then also uh, the fact that um, a, a lot of these banks are beginning to start foreclosure processes. And when I say full foreclosure, I mean, there's, there's the, um, there's the opportunity to get into a pre-foreclosure marketplace, which is your short sales uh, scenarios. Loan modifications will be back in, in style. So there's a lot of opportunity, you know, real estate isn't just buying a house, fixing it, selling it, making money. You know, there are a lot of mechanics that go into it. I mean, our team has got over 50 years combined experience at the GP level uh, that we bring to the table. So, you know, you don't get 50 years worth of experience by reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I'm watching a couple of YouTube videos. <laughs> Sorry, did I say that out loud? I did. <laughs> no that's that's
0: great i i, I robert kiyosaki is a great author but i definitely don't um read his books for investment um, he didn't even write them if, if that's, yeah anyways <laughs> <laughs> so looking at um that bubble you mentioned that we were kind of all waiting for, sure. for it to pop um sure. you know going back to that example good bones that's still on uh, a flipping show um I'm curious when you look at the $37,000 profit that they have at the bottom line, they're working on a house for like two months with the whole team. So when you break that down, let's round up and say they make 20,000 a month over four weeks with an entire team. It doesn't seem like a lot. And yes, yet there's all this speculation and hype and uh, everyone wants to jump in the game. Um, is flipping a bubble like or is it just a housing market that's causing people to try to get some of that quick profit? Like, where does it stem from uh, with the bubble? Because I think that with quantitative easing, there's a massive amount of printing and people are looking for physical properties to kind of maybe hedge against inflation, if they're even thinking that far, or is it just speculation?
1: Yeah. No, it's, that's that such great questions. Look, how do you hedge against inflation? you hedge against inflation by buying an asset that's going to pay you long term, right? I want something that's going to meet and or beat inflation consistently over a long period of time. Real estate uh, historically has done that. Whether it's, you know, your primary residence, I bought it for $20,000, my parents' house, they paid 20 grand for my parents' house. It's now worth 250. Yeah, but you've held on to it for 40 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's almost a guaranteed long-term win, the problem is, is the fact that house flipping is a job. Uh, you know, four to six months is the uh, is the average time up here in New England uh, to buy a property, fix it, sell it. But we've got older stock, right? Um, what is the market demand? And and look, here's, here's the thing, we could go down so many rabbit holes with this. You know, in 2000 and late seven, early eight, right? You could buy a piece of real estate on Friday and it would appreciate in value by you know, 10% <laughs> the following week. Okay? Everybody is an exceptionally uh, uh, expert-driven real estate investor when the market goes straight up. Okay? What does a guy like myself do? I, I, I kind of use the, it's almost like the Warren Buffett philosophy. When everybody is greedy, be fearful. And when everybody is fearful, be greedy, be contrarian. Okay. Be contrarian. When everybody's buying Tesla, I would probably sell it if I owned any of it.
0: Right. I have a short position. I'm getting hammered, but thank you. <laughs> You're,
1: welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, you know, I, I would, I would, <laughs> when, when everybody is, when the media and the hype and the conversation is so overpoweringly loud in one direction, That's telling you something. That's saying, look, the masses are running down the road. Here's what it is. It's herd mentality. And when we look at the human nature of herd mentality, it can be used for good as it can be for bad. The house is on fire. Everybody run out now. That's for good. Where are you going? That way. Why? The house is burning down. Okay, I'm coming with you. However, you don't do due diligence when everybody says, buy, 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 or sell, sell, sell. Human nature doesn't use its common sense and its intelligence. And I learned the hard way myself through 2006 and seven when I refinanced my own primary residence like four times in 18 months because I, I was a financial idiot. I was a donkey. Just following along with the rest of the crowd. So is a bubble coming to fruition? It has to, dear Lord. It has to. When, when we see um, the amount of, of capital that is, is coming in without a transfer of goods and services. Mm. I'm not as well-versed in that world, Josh, as you are. I'm a sticks and bricks guy. But common sense tells me if there is not a transfer of goods and services for a receiving of, of capital and value, then something's wrong with the fundamentals of economics. And if something has to be wrong with the fundamentals of economics, is my stock in Tesla really that valuable when I'm buying it based on the fact that we're going to land on Mars in the next 25 years? Mm. I don't know. I don't know, I'm not gonna get into that debate. So the debate I will get into is this, is when there is a correction in the in the uh, real estate marketplace, which there will be, the first thing to fall fast is always residential, followed by commercial, commercial real estate multifamily, followed by office space, retail, light industrial. And then the reverse happens when things begin to come back again. So. I put myself in a position where I look back and we do the T12 uh, for, for an asset, uh, underwriting an asset, 12, 12 months look back to value what, it, what it's doing on the day that I buy it. And then I look at the long game for my investors and I say, okay, what did it do past 20 years? Let's do a 20-year, 15, and a 10-year look back. And when I do that and I look in the multifamily arena, it has outperformed all other investments in the marketplace, end of conversation. You look at the average return in the stock market for the average investor, it's beaten that. You look at uh, retail, you look at office space, you look at the other commercial arenas. So if if you believe, whoever you are, that straight up cannot last forever and that there has to be a flattening, a leveling, a, a correction in the marketplace, where do you want to be when that comes? Where do you want to be? Do you want to be in, in what the what the one percent is called the workhorse of wealth, It's where you park wealth, is in multifamily real estate, which is where we invest, or do you want to continue in these more speculative arenas? There's no right or wrong. There's just left or right in an opinion, and you know I'm I'm setting myself up, my family, my investors, my company. I'm setting this up for a uh, a recession-proof arena. And there's a lot of data that goes behind that. So I don't know if I answered your question. I probably didn't know me, but
0: um, (laughs) you did, but I'm curious about the historical appreciation because we've never had in housing appreciation, go up five, 10% for no reason. People are buying houses. They don't do anything. And yet appreciation goes up now, previous to like, I don't know, 2000 or even 2010, that never, ever happened like ever. And so, Now it's normal and people's greed is allowing them to conveniently forget that that's never happened because they love the speculation and appreciation, even if it comes with higher taxes. So definitely not normal, definitely not sustainable. Um, I'm curious, though, with Biden potentially wanting to throw a massive Band-Aid on the correction that we were all anticipating if he extends mortgages by 40 years without any fees, what's that going to do to this potential bubble? Is it just going to keep going parabolic?
1: Wow. So let, let, let's go back to, to, to day one and the Federal Reserve and, and all, the, all the guys all sat down together and they said, what, what are we going to do, fellas? Where was it? Skull Island or Skull Candy Island or somewhere, wherever it was they met. Where was it? Do you, do you know?
0: Uh, it's off of Georgia, um, can't remember. something,
1: yeah, something skull, something scary Island. So yeah. think about this for a second. All, all of the, all of the big influence and look, I'm not, I'm not going to do the, you know, the, the big Jekyll, theorist Jekyll Island, Jekyll Island, skull, Jekyll, something yeah. scary Island. Yeah. So they all sat there and basically they got together as a group and they said, you know, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to, to sustain, maintain and grow who we are and our influences basically uh, you know whether you believe it or whether you don't doesn't matter it's, again it's opinion out there wall street's connection to, to the government is tight it's mm-hmm. always been tight mm-hmm. uh, it, it always will be it just is the way it is you know the, 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 that 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 connection will always be there so my again blue collar guy white collar world not, not 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 from yale or jail right but you know my 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 thought process around it is this, is that the government will not not allow the banking industry to make its money, right? Uh, the, the, the housing market has been the backbone of our economy for a very long time, okay? Uh, the American dream, the, 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 you know, do your 40 hours, get your white picket fence, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't know that 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 is going to implode. We will go through another cycle and Biden will not be in office 40 years from now. So no matter what policies or procedures, any specific um, administration puts in place. After eight years maximum, there will be a new administration in there, either to carry on those plans or nine times out of 10, destroy the plans that were made by the prior administration. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's just be honest. That's the country in which we live we live in a democratic society and as human beings we get really fed up with everything very very quickly trump was satan now he's gone now Biden's satan all right to some people yes to some people no trump was great trump was was the devil himself none of that sh- stuff matters okay what matters is the fundamentals again so i look at it and i say Right now, the Federal Reserve is screaming at me to buy real estate because the interest rates are so low. Were there real estate investors making money in the 80s where mortgages were 18%? The answer was yes. You just adjust a move. What is the core practice underneath it all? People will always, always take care of their shelter first. It's the hierarchy of needs, right? The hierarchy of needs. So whether it's pay my rent, pay my mortgage, whatever the case may be, the, 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 the human nature will do that first. So if that is the drive, then I'm in the right business to support that. I'm in the right business to support that. So I look at you know, the, the administration's plans to you know, take 1031 exchanges off of, the, uh, off of the radar to increase corporate taxes back up to 39% or 40% or whatever it was. I get it. I get it, it's just a new line item on a spreadsheet, which changes my buying criteria when I go into a deal. That's the way that I look at it. That I cannot control. So focus on the things that I can control. Buy right, right market, right process, right execution, right exit plans with the information Mm -hmm. that we have in front of us. Variables are out there, my friend, they're out there whether you're buying stocks or whether you're buying real estate, there are variables. Mm -hmm. Go short, go long, right? Who knows? we all bring our intelligence to the table and our past experiences to do that. So that's kind of the way I look at that.
0: Yeah, I think at the same time, you've got to look at um, a lot of issues that are coming out, right? So with some of the strategic defaults, if somebody, if all of a sudden there is a correction, people aren't gonna stay in a house and pay that. If you're in a state like Washington state, that's non-judicial, you can literally walk away and not have an issue. It's just a business decision. Um, We're seeing that in commercial already. So Goldman Sachs and uh, you know JP Morgan, they're becoming landlords by default. They don't want to, yeah. but some of these malls have collateralized mortgage-backed securities or collateralized debt obligations and they're defaulting already. So cracks are in the system because of the pandemic, people not going to work, people not paying for real estate, and that's gonna have an effect. Um, but it's probably two to three years um, mm-hmm. as a lagging economic indicator, because it has to go through all of the, the, uh, the processes of yeah. foreclosure. And now you're getting a lot of that deferment from the federal government, like the Biden on residential, extending that 40 years, which would be insane. But is it enough to stem the problem already happening with commercial?
1: Yeah, great questions. And I don't think it is. The commercial world is a, um, uh, it's a uh, cash flow based business. Right, we, we value commercial real estate based on its net operating income. So basically, if I if I'm looking at an asset that has a 20% vacancy, I'm only buying that asset based on 80% of its of its potential, not on 100% of its potential. So as these assets begin to um, lose their their NOIs, right? Let's look at our malls, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, it's it's creating a a, a massive opportunity where there is a pre foreclosure commercial marketplace in effect right now. You don't see it on the talking head shows. You won't see it. Uh, you won't see it anywhere out in the public domain. Um, don't know why. Probably not sexy enough to talk about. Nobody really cares if the mall goes upside down, but they care if their next door neighbor gets kicked out on the street, right? So it doesn't have it doesn't have the sex appeal attached to it. But what it does do is is it's creating um, an arena where we need to pivot and think very, very quickly about what these assets are now going to be. Example, a lot of, um, uh, our team is uh, walking a um, a Howard Johnson's, for example, a motel down in Florida. Um, We're gonna walk that property, I think it's like 200 doors or something like that. Uh, We're walking it because it's already been approved and rezoned to go from a hotel to an apartment complex, so you know the need, the 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 supply and demand is now different. And if we cannot if we cannot adjust and pivot, then you know that's that's that creates some pretty substantial problems. Those are the cracks that you just referred to. Um, you know we have micro and macro markets throughout the U.S. And when we start looking at the amount of um, Job creation in a a crazy environment, right? Job creation, we start looking at the the migration and the movement of people. Um, That's what's creating um, the opportunities on top of everything else. Like them, don't like them. Um, Right here in uh, just north of Boston where I'm located, Amazon have purchased two huge um, uh, facilities, industrial light, industrial facilities. One was the New England um, Confectionery Company, otherwise known as the Necco Wafer. Mm. So if you like to buy those little heart-shaped candies uh, with I love you on them on, uh, on Valentine's Day, well, they were produced right here in Revere, Massachusetts. Well, that's now an Amazon distribution center. And if you just look across the street, the, uh, the movie theater has now also been absorbed by Amazon, and that'll be their second distribution center right next to each other um, uh, right here on the North shore. So, you know, human beings, uh, we, we're creative, we're creative again. It's, it's the, um, you know, it's, it's the, 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 COVID tsunami, which is still building, which is yet to, which is yet to, 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 to manifest itself. And if we think about it, you know, all of these, um, you know, moratoriums and, um, you know, the, the rental situations uh, in the more liberal states, um, Massachusetts included, <clears throat> these are just Band-Aids, and they, they have to be pulled off at some point. And when they pull the Band-Aid off, you know, we, will you, the investor, uh, be in a good position for, for what comes afterwards? What, what work are you doing now? What, what, what blueprints and, and, and plans are you, are you laying out now for what is going to come? Um, so that's that's how we, we anticipate those things. But we are seeing a lot of that. We've seen a lot of commercial real estate get repurposed. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a connection in Chicago. <clears throat> the team there has been um, uh, commercial um, litigation uh, for about 30 years. So they, they've seen some stuff. You know, they saw Chicago get decimated in 2008. And uh, the comment was this. And all I can do is relay the comment said the the stacks of cases on my desk are growing exponentially mm-hmm. we can't keep up with them so you know i can only i can only look at that little micro moment and say okay that supports some of my thoughts and yet you could probably go to other parts of the country where they say no you're crazy everything's beautiful here so it's it's just it's preparation right it's preparation. i was
0: looking at um We work as as interesting because anytime anything goes public, I'm immediately skeptical because I've worked in Wall Street and I see why these companies go public. It's because they're broke and they just completely take the average retail investor, uh, take their money. And then maybe with that, they're able to pivot to stay relevant. Otherwise, they just fall flat and go bankrupt. So when looking at WeWork and pushing like a $40 billion valuation or whatever it was, and now it's like 4 billion, yeah. Um, yeah. is is the epitome of Wall Street to me and all of the scams that go with it. And yet that creates opportunities, right? So with uh, Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq has a SPAC, a Specialty Purpose Acquisition Corporation, looking at WeWork and I thought that was a terrible idea. I started thinking about it and I'm like, well, wait, what if everything changes? What if we work is no longer about the entrepreneur, but it's about the Microsofts, about people wanting to work from home from Tennessee instead of working at Seattle at Amazon. They're able to work wherever they want. And then this is that opportunity. So I was like, okay, this, this is a new thing. You have to be open to whatever post-pandemic life looks like. And that in and itself creates opportunities from a 40 to a $4 billion valuation.
1: I, it's so, so good that you brought it up. That's the second time this week that that's come to the forefront in, in conversations, the, the amount of different uh, special purpose acquisition companies that are getting created, looking for opportunities. But you said something in there that I think is important, Josh. And this is, this is kind of like bakes into our philosophy a little bit. Um, I'm not the investor, the CEO of a company that goes out to, um, how do I word this? To create special purpose acquisition companies for those kinds of opportunities. And what I mean by that is, is that retail investor that you talk about, who's been brutalized historically Mm -hmm. uh, through lack of education maybe, through that herd mentality that we were talking about earlier. um, I know those people, I worked alongside them. I paid into my shitty 401k plans, like the rest of them did, right? Uh, I've, done all, I've, done all of those, I've done all of those things going forward. <clears throat> so I am uh, interested in what Shaquille O'Neal is doing. Uh, I'm interested in the uh, repurposing that um, some companies are looking at to, to do with commercial sticks and bricks, but I'm only interested. I'm not investing, why? because as we correct, and as these changes come into the marketplace, the accredited investor is not, it's not a unicorn anymore. It's not a, it's not an elite group. The accredited investor is, is, you know, it's, it's, it can very well be the middle-class American today as the, as the SEC is as low that, that barrier to entry. Therefore, what do they want? What are they looking for as an investor? Well, I don't know that they want to throw a half a million dollars of their retirement account at Shaquille O'Neal trying to repurpose WeWork, right, uh, to make it a, a, a profitable company. And he may very well be buying it, uh, you know, fire sale prices. It's a, it's a great deal. It's a fire sale price. It may well be, but is it going to cash flow the next quarter? Is it going to cash flow next month? Um, because our experience has been is that the retail investor. Is investing for cash flow. They want to see growth. They want to see consistency. So I'm not. I'm not going to argue a point that there isn't um, really creative, or there aren't really creative investors out there right now. I'm, I'm in the middle of going through uh, Stephen Schwartzman's book, um, where he dialogues the the history of Blackstone, and it's it's so interesting to listen to that that journey that he took and the opportunities that he saw. Um, I'm sure Blackstone is, is working incredibly hard right now to, to flesh out their plan of action with a plan of implementation for their investors afterwards. Um, and, and it's, you know, one day maybe for us, but, but right now, um, fundamentals, common sense investing, um, value add components in, in real estate, uh, that cash flow, core plus core meaning cash flow plus me and an opportunity to make the assets more valuable you know it's it's such a cool conversation to have though isn't it because who whoever right whoever would have thought that we'd see this kind of landscape that we're seeing right now as a direct result of a pandemic for heaven's sake right, right. we had no idea well, so when um, you
0: throw all that stuff together i, I want to pivot to cannabis retail outlets msos yeah. as they are called multi-state operators because you have a convergence of so many different speculations right now with real estate, cannabis, um, you know, stupid money is coming out there in the form of of just helicopter money with stimulus, quantitative easing, uh, and investors just basically throwing uh, money out there without doing due diligence. So early on, you mentioned uh, about distressed properties. And so I'm, I'm looking at the West coast as distressed and the East coast as opportunistic. So people are going to be spending a lot of money getting into New York, whereas Oregon, Washington, all of those existing marketplaces are are dirt cheap. You can get in here really, really inexpensive. So I'm curious as you're seeing a lot of this, um, expansion in the cannabis industry for their retail outlets with, you know, commercial mortgages and real estate prices being the highest they've ever been. I can't imagine when that correction does happen, that that's going to leave these uh, folks in, in a good spot. They are using REITs, uh, real estate investment trusts like IIPR to yeah. do sale lease back options that's a massive opportunity for them to be able to buy those back for pennies on the dollar but what about the investors in the meantime uh are they just going to get wiped out as some of these loans get you know
1: revalued um and written off yeah great great questions Uh, so again macro micro markets right Mm -hmm. east coast west coast so my favorite diner route one in saugus been there for 35 years one building one building, restaurant building, sold it to a to, uh, uh, cannabis uh, business so that they could turn it into a, uh, you know, growth facility with a, with a shop in the front, right? Um, why? Why did those, those good Greek breakfast guys s- sell my diner? Because the price they offered was obviously way too ridiculous to not take, okay? Um, I don't know the specifics of the deal. The, the, the thing that's interesting about this is you talk about REITs and um, a lot of people do or don't, I'm, I'm assuming they don't because of the questions, uh, the conversations I have with retail investors. A lot of times I'll talk to FINRA brokers, I'll talk to Series 6, and um, we have this conversation you say, no, we don't, have a, we don't have an appetite for your private equity because we're already in a REIT. And what a lot of people don't realize is with REITs, and I'm sure you're aware of this, is the fact that a REITs valuation isn't really based on the actual assets inside the REIT. Its, it's valuation fluctuates with the, uh, with the rise and fall of, of market conditions. So when we talk about you know, the investor on a REIT, yeah, they can get wiped out on a REIT if it's based off of, of, of market valuation. But in a private REIT or a private equity, the way that we do it, you know, that investment is made against the physical assets, the, the, the sticks and the bricks, um, as I refer to them. You know, the, the cannabis marketplace, I mean, how consistent, be honest, David. I mean, twice a month, three times a month, I'll take an inbound call from a various, you know, cannabis company um, asking me if I have a lead uh, source on, on a specific um, commercial asset that they can either use for a storefront. Um, you know, I, I wonder. I'm sober thirty years, so I, I can't even price. I can't even price it. I don't drink. I don't. I don't. I don't drunk. I don't partake of the Mary Jane uh, anymore. Um, so my my question is is, will there be enough revenue out there with with a with a huge correction? I mean, I get, maybe, I don't know, you know, they still gonna go drinking and, and smoke a big fatty and, and be okay. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that world enough to know it's, its um, supply and demand. But what I do know is, is that, um, give you another case in point. Um, prior to Massachusetts legalizing uh, marijuana, uh, a group came into the Western part of the state and purchased a huge um, uh, warehouse-type facility, which was then transformed into a grow facility prior to um, prior to the um, the approval, if you will, of of uh, growing and selling in Massachusetts. Uh, a friend of mine put up two hundred fifty thousand for uh, I think it was like a two points or two percent uh, equity in the project, and. It's now six years later, and his 250000 he's had multiple offers um, of $6 million uh, to $6.5 million for his two points. Wow. So, you know, six years ago, I'm too, I'm too conservative. You're upsetting me now. <laughs> I'm too conservative because I had that opportunity. I looked at a quarter of a million-dollar check, and I went, I could put that into a couple of real estate transactions, turn my money a lot quicker he hasn't seen a dime out of those two points yet. No cash flow in six and a half years on the deal. Um, he's holding on a little while longer before he liquidates out. But um, you know, it's—I don't know. I don't know enough to speculate on all of those different um, strategies, Josh. To be competent, you know, I like to—I like to be an expert of one thing. But I do enjoy the conversation. I'll be honest with you. Well, that's all right. There's
0: a lot of speculation out there, so let's pivot this to um, maybe something else with. Uh, you you, know, you mentioned you're your blue-collar guy, right? There's yeah. a lot of people looking at Wall Street as um, them versus us. I think the Wall yeah. Street bets whole thing with GameStop kind of exemplified that whole scenario of sure. them versus us. Sure. Um, and so I'm curious. I saw a CNBC uh, video yesterday that was launched, and it was titled, um, Will um, Automated Investors or what is bots? Yeah, as our bot's going to be the new thing, right? And so there's 120,000 views in the last day on that one video. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, you know, with Freedom Venture, if you uh, if you believe that you know automated algorithmic trading is going to be the wave of the future, uh, or if it's still going to remain human, given this whole fiasco of not really trusting Wall Street, what's what's your take on all of that?
1: <sighs> Dude, this is such a good conversation. <laughs> I could—I forget the podcast. I could just hang out with you and 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 go deep. We could go down these these rabbit holes together. So so let's look at it. Right, um, a confused mind will say no, unless there are fifty thousand other minds all doing the same thing. Right. What I think happens is this: is that investors are lazy. Okay, they're lazy. Um, automated algorithms are lazy. Um, let the computers do all the work. I don't, have to, I don't have to think about it. I just put my money in and expect my money back out again. Look, if you, if you had this conversation with Warren Buffett 30, 40 years ago, you know, I, I, I always imagine the guy with his with briefcase under his arm, going and looking at the companies that he purchased, doing his due diligence, putting his feet on the street, right? Get dirty. Don't be GD lazy, right? Get get dirty with it. Um, so, automation, uh, Bitcoin, GameStop, Tesla, tech, Fang. I mean, all of these, all of these terms that we listen to. Are they meant to educate, or is there a subliminal message to confuse? Mm. If you ask the average American what a, um, you know, a, a, a collateralized debt obligation is for hmm. CDO and what did it do, they'll have no idea what the hell you were talking about. No. But if you say to them, did the bank screw over the average American in 2004, five, six, and seven by selling them really bad mortgages and putting them in bundles and selling them with no valuation in them and no underwriting that made any sense? Then the American is going to get up in arms and understand it. So when we get into to, to all of these um, acronyms that are used, the uh, the talking heads on CNBC, and I, I've been one of them, man. I got invited onto uh, onto um, uh, Squawk Squawk mm-hmm. Box with um, with Becky Quick and Joe and Andrew, and I'm sitting in the I'm sitting in the studio years ago, and we were going to pontificate on our expounding knowledge of, of real estate investing back then. Um, you know it's it almost becomes a hobby rather than a um a, 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 the seriousness of the acts that take place right if if the investor is treating it as a as a cool trend um bitcoin i don't know anything about bitcoin now apparently you can pay your rent with bitcoin not in my house okay <laughs> we don't take bitcoin yet <laughs> You know, when when the majority is taking Bitcoin and that's the new norm, then I'll be taking Bitcoin. Um, but you know, when 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 the fundamentals of common sense are are put to one side, that just scares me. That just absolutely scares me. Um, so when it comes to uh, when it comes to investors, we spend you know, what's the 80-20 rule, right? 20% of what we do creates 80% of our income, okay? As entrepreneurs, that's, we, we kind of live by that. So the idea is, is that you, you increase that 20% and decrease the 80%. Well, for me, I kind of look at it as a, as a 50-50 rule. I spend 50% of my time educating my investors so that they understand what the hell it is that they're doing. I don't want your money if you don't know what it's supposed to be doing with us. It makes no sense to me. You're, you're, a, you're an investor with an expectation that is unreal if you just come in based off of a reality TV show, for an example, right? So we go- It's like your buddy, Kevin
0: Harrington, of- he's not going to get involved with anybody that he can actually help. It's not about it just right. the money. It's what he That's can right.
1: Do. That's right. Look, man, we, we, we have a moral responsibility. I'm a custodian and a steward of capital today, Right. And sometimes I get, and this is truth, take it or don't take it, it's, it's whatever. But for me, I get as much enjoyment out of educating and watching, um, you know, the, 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 the working class and above, the middle class American, um, watching the lights go off. Uh, when, when you start to peel back the onion of a, of a, a 401k account that they've been paying into for generations... And if you look at Vanguard's annual report, uh, I think it's around sixty or $62,000 is the average amount in a 401k account for a 53-year-old American. Mm. That That's wrong, Josh. Yeah. Any way you slice that, my friend, that's just plain out freaking wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you had the beeping facility, I'd probably be dropping some of those F-bombs we were talking about right now. <laughs> and the reason that I get so emotional about that is because it's, it's the, it's the detrimental side of that herd mentality. Come on, everyone. Let's go to the conference room, free bagels and coffee. They're doing a 401k presentation. And what do we get? We got three options depending on our age, right? Low risk, medium risk, high risk. That was it. <laughs> That's it. Ask the average American what's in their 401k plan. They got no freaking idea. They also have no idea what the compounding costs are doing to their compounding returns over time. So those kinds of educational um, uh, arenas are important to understand the fundamentals of capital. And then, and then just look at, you know, what has worked the best, the longest. Say that again. What has worked and performed the best, the longest? You know, talking hedge. Well, what's a hedge? A hedge is created through, through repetitive uh, outcomes, right? We take in all the variables. How do we hedge the downside and accelerate the upside? we hedge our downside through intelligence so 50% in education 20% in raising capital and 30% of just thinking about it <laughs> it kind of it kind of comes comes to that 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 breakdown in, in simplicity and then be, being accessible to these people being able to answer questions for investors you know i'd like i'd like anybody to tell me that they can call up elon musk and ask him how he's doing and, and, and a couple of questions about their investments. It's not going to happen, right? Not going to happen. You're going to go through a broker, through a broker, through a broker to get to a, to, to get, to, to get an answer. So, you know, being accessible is important. Um, educating is important. And, and with education comes confidence. And that's, that's a dirty word, man. You know,
0: the con game out there, right? And so when, When that U.S. dollar is no longer backed by anything except the full faith and credit, and there is no faith and credit as debt, that con game becomes really uh, scary, especially if during a systemic uh, collapse, there are no trailing stop losses triggered. So if you think you're protected and you're not, it's going to be really hard for people who don't remember the last bear market. It's the longest bull market in history right now. A lot of issues, um, a lot of advice. I appreciate a lot of your feedback. Uh, It's been a great podcast, but um, I think we're gonna have to roll this one up. Is there any links? There's any way people can get a hold of you? Where are you at?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm old school. You can actually pick up a telephone and call me. Whoa! Go figure. I told you. I told you I was a blue collar guy. That's crazy. 781-92-4418. Make sure that when you call in, you let uh, you let my receptionist know that um, you heard us on uh, on Josh's um, Josh's show. Uh, you can also reach out to us at freedomventure.com freedomventure.com. And if you want to put capital to work uh, with higher targeted yields, then, you know, explore, do some, do some due diligence, Um, learn who it is that you're investing with uh, before you pull that trigger. Um, It's a relationship business in real estate. It's tangible. Um, I don't get emotional about real estate. I get emotional about the returns that it produces for, for our investors going forward. So yeah, man. Good discussions. Um, like I said, old school. You can you can find us. Check me out. davesemore.com, You can get me there as well.
0: We'll have a lot of that information in the show notes uh, in the description as well. So I want to thank my guest, Dave Seymour, the host and star flipping Boston, as well as CEO, founder, Freedom Venture Investments. Dave, thanks again for being on The Talking Hedge. Thanks, brother. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture,
0: one Token at a time.